0: Ephesians chapter six, we're going to be continuing looking at parenting. You know, every parent is going to adopt some mode of parenting. I mean, you're going if you find yourself and you have a child, you have picked up some way of parenting. It could be great. it could be something you could learn from your parents. Uh, Maybe it's something you just kind of picked up in a magazine while you're flying in an airplane one time. But somewhere along the line, you develop a philosophy of parenting and really most parents give much more time about what they're going to do with their money, their careers, their lifestyle than they ever do with how do you actually raise your children. And the reality is, is that how you raise your children, the choices and decisions you make are some of the most critical decisions that you will ever make in your life. And one of the major questions, when we come to the whole idea of how do we pass on the baton of life, godliness, faith, maturity, one of the most important questions is, how in the world do you do that? And we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. and Ephesians chapter six, verse four, he actually tells us, because it focuses our attention on the role of godly parents in a Christ-centered family. I'd like you to see this verse: "Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord, let me review you once again. what is our goal? What is the passion of godly parents? Their passion, their purpose, is to see our children become complete in Christ. And this verse here actually tells us how you go about this. First of all, and I'm going to review the first couple of points that we had talked about a couple of weeks ago there are three guiding principles for godly parents. The first one is. You've got to take responsibility. He says, fathers, and that word specifically refers to fathers. In general, it refers to parents. It is your responsibility to raise your children. It's not the government. It's not the school. It's not the youth pastor. It is your responsibility. God gave you the children, and it is your responsibility to raise them. When I was a youth pastor, I would tell the parents, listen, I'm merely the Flintstone vitamin to the meat and potatoes they're getting at home from you, you are responsible for your children's spiritual life. But I would like to help you. If I was a youth pastor in Texas, I'd probably say uh, you are the one who's providing the brisket and the fried okra, the main deal at home. And I'm merely the Flintstone. OK, but you need to understand you are responsible. You have to take responsibility. You have to reject passivity. You can't just lay back and hope it happens. God has entrusted you with these children. And he says, fathers, I want you, uh, parents, to be involved. Accept responsibility. And then the second part we looked at is when he says, do not provoke your children anger. A second guiding principle for godly parents is they treat with sensitivity. They are not seeking to provoke anger in their children. And that was, has the idea of like just feeding and fueling a fire of resentment and rejection or despondency and despair. Parents, you don't want to parent that way. And we looked at a lot of different ways that parents can actually provoke their children to anger. What we want to do is we want to engage our children to help them grow in godliness and to mature in the faith. Anger, anger is one of those emotions that causes children and really all adults to lose heart and to actually harden their heart. We do not want to provoke our children to anger. This isn't, by the way, a little card that you kids can pull up like, oh, you made me mad. You weren't supposed to be doing that. No, this is to addressing parents. Your manner of parenting is not to be in such a way that it's just provoking like a fire anger in your children. And that leads us to what we'd like to focus on today. And that is what we are supposed to do. The negative, do not provoke your children to anger. But then the positive, we are to train for maturity, look what he says. He says, "Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Nurture them, cause them to grow and develop in every respect." Parenting goes far more than physical. Don't think I'm a great parent because my kids got clothes on their back. I'm keeping the rain out of their hair because I've provided them a shelter and they have some food. That is that is just the mere basics to nurture. Is in every respect, you want your child to grow physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, uh, intellectually. You want to cultivate growth and depth in your mature in your children. And you bring them up in the discipline, which speaks of training and instruction and and instruction, which speaks specifically of teaching and even warning them. You want to bring them up in the Lord So that they are walking with him, they know his love, they are dependent upon God, and they have what the Bible calls maturity. Now, maturity is is actually defined for us in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, he actually defines maturity for us. He says, but solid food is for the mature. What are the mature like? Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They have, over time, through practice, they can discern good and evil, and they, through the Spirit, make choices to do what is right and flee from evil. So this is what we're to do, parents. We are to train our children for maturity. But how do you go about this? How do Christian parents take their children and help them develop into becoming mature, fully functional uh, Ch- children of God. So let me just kind of tell you, lay this out for you. The first of all, the first thing you're going to find is that godly parents, as they train their children for maturity, they have first of all Christ-centered convictions. There is something unique, distinctly unique to Christians in how they raise their children. And I'd like to talk to you about some of the convictions that Christians share in raising their children. First of all, Christians believe that we all need the gospel of grace. You know. Parenting would be really pretty easy if our children weren't cut out of the the same bolt of cloth as we are. You see, we are wayward and sinful. We have inherited from Adam a propensity to do what is wrong, what is evil. We are sinful, and our children are the same way. As cute as they may be, no matter how many bows you put in their hair, you cannot change their heart. What we all need, whether you are one or a hundred and one, is we need grace found in Christ alone. And so as parents, what we do is we want to emphasize as Christian parents the need for the gospel in our children's lives. Mom and dad, we need grace. We need to be forgiven of our sins, to be cleansed, to be renewed, to be filled with the life of Christ. And we encourage our children with the exact same approach. We need grace. Christ and repentance and faith isn't just kind of like something you do; it's a one-time deal. I one time I repented of my sins and then I and I believed and that's it. Actually, repentance and faith is a way of life for Christians, and so that's one of the convictions Christian parents hold. And let me give you another conviction: Christian parents have the conviction that the scriptures are true, that God has revealed His truth in Scripture, and we believe it. And so, when we come to parenting, we're not like, oh man. I just got to go and walk in some bookstore and grab a few books on parenting and that's going to guide me or what some magazine that someone sends you for free. It puts in the mail Like, Here's an article on parenting. I think I'll just adopt what they have to say. What our grid is, is we want to know what is God has to say in his word. We know, like it says in Second Timothy 316, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We are looking to God's word to guide us in the parenting process. It's one of the convictions we hold. Let me give you another conviction. As Christians, we actually are focusing on the heart. This may actually be one of the most radical departures from all other forms of parenting. As Christians, we are actually focused on the heart because the heart is the control center of all of life. Like it says in Proverbs 423, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Our behavior is actually rooted in our heart. We are not interested in behavioral modification. Actually, we're interested in heart transformation. And so we focus on the heart, because if we can shape our heart to go with God, then our behavior is going to follow. And so we really are following the pattern of Jesus when Jesus was on the earth Jesus was focused on what people's hearts like. I'll give you some examples Uh, like in Matthew, chapter 15, verse eight. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, people can say things, honor people, honor God with their lips. They can do the right things. But God is interested in our hearts and the heart of Christian parenting is to take our child's heart and leave it, lead it to God. Well, let me give you a couple others. Jesus said, like, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Where does all this come from? What well, comes from the heart? And Jesus said, you know, a man's going to speak from that which fills his heart. He said that Luke six forty five. So as Christians, we are very interested in the heart of our children. I mean, frankly, you can train a monkey if you're looking for behavioral modification. You can train people to do certain things or jump through hoops. Legalism tries to do that. As Christians, what we are focused is the heart of our child, because if their heart is desirous to walk with God, to do what is right, to honor parents, to respect authority, if that's their heart, that will become the actions in which they display. And, you know, this is the amazing thing about it. Even though as Christians we focus on the heart, we actually cannot change the heart. The one thing that drives us to prayer is that only God can do the work in a person's heart. And so as parents, we fulfill our role, but God must do the transforming work in our children's heart, and we pray and plead that that would be the case. Let me give you another uh, just conviction of Christian parents, that we are responsible to receive, to raise, and release our children. We don't think it's left to somebody else. God has given us us, the children, and so we receive them. We recognize them as ours. We raise them and we release them. And this process actually begins from the moment that child leaves their mother's womb. Independence starts. They're no longer hooked up to an umbilical cord. And that process goes and pretty soon they're actually at a point where they're feeding themselves themselves. And, you know, maybe they start picking out their own clothes and maybe they're then they're going to school and maybe they learn how to drive a car and maybe take a job and they graduate or they go off to college or off to the military and then they get married. It is a process that we as parents are involved in receiving them, raising them and releasing them to walk with God as those who know him and are mature, not only in their life, but in their faith. And let me give you just a final conviction that Christian parents share. We are totally inadequate, right? What we need is spiritual strength for such a significant responsibility. And, you know, mind you, this is found in the book of Ephesians. Twice in the book of Ephesians, there are these great prayers, and they are prayers that you and I, as the believer in Christ, would realize this just amazing power of God that is at work in us who believe. We need God's strength because otherwise we just kind of fall off to the wayside or we parent incorrectly. God supplies what we need. He has given us his word and he gives us what we need to have his word fulfilled. And so that's what we do. We call out to him. We look to him for strength and wisdom in parenting. So that's the first thing. When it comes to godly parents, how do you train your children for maturity? Well, first of all, you have to have Christ-centered convictions. Let me give you a second There needs to be continual communication. This needs to begin from day one where you are engaging your child with communication, both verbal and nonverbal. In Deuteronomy chapter six, he actually explains this is how I want you to parent. God actually spells it out. He says, hero Israel, the Lord is God, is our God, and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's your heart. Did you see that? And notice what else he has to say. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Why does he emphasize the heart? Because whatever's in your heart is going to come out your mouth and out your life. He says, have these things in your heart. And then he says, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I want you, God says, to be engaging your children at pretty much every opportunity in the natural way of life. I mean, there may be occasions where you say, "Okay, kids, sit down. I'm going to talk to you. Okay, but that the normal way that we communicate about life, about faith, about God, about what we're learning is through just communication in everyday life. When you're driving to the ball game, when you're coming back from the store, when you're taking a walk around the block, when you're putting her to bed, just talk to them in normal, natural ways, engage their heart. But you've got to take the initiative. And you have to be proactive. I mean, your child may at different times bring up something on spiritual matters, but really, you as the parent, you need to take the initiative. Talk to them about what they're learning. Ask them good questions. Share with them that something that God has taught you or a lesson that you're going through. You want to pray with your children and pray for them. I mean, this is one of the most powerful things you can do is just actually pray with your children. What you're doing is you're continually engaging them. You want to help them think through situations. You want to teach them how to resolve conflict, how to control their tongue, how to select companions. How are you going to do that? Well, you do it by talking with them, how to guard your mind and your mouth, how to take responsibility, how to make good decisions. How are they going to learn these things if you don't talk to them? And so that's what we do. We engage. We are continuing the process of talking with them and training them for what goal? Do you remember? We want them to be complete, fully mature in Christ. And so really what you want to do is have a vision for what maturity looks like for your child. And you keep moving them toward that. And when there's shortcomings and failures, you talk them through that and you address those issues. And let me tell you, communication is critical. Listen, we're in in our Western uh, Hemisphere society here. This is what the deal is. Today's Western thought basically says that a child's worth is determined by their beauty, their brains, or that they can display some sort of talent. That is the predominant thought out there. Your children, my children live in this world that it's all about beauty, brains, or having some sort of specific talent, whether that be musical or athletic and if you find that a child doesn't quite have one of those, it's kind of like that science experiment you ran in school. You remember, you remember when you took all the air out of that gas can? Remember what happened? It just went. That's what happens to our kids. They are out there and they feel like they don't measure up. Maybe they have a complexion problem or maybe they don't have a 22 inch vertical or they can't hit the ball or maybe they're just average at school. They get eaten alive unless parents are communicating and engaging their kids, letting them know that their value isn't that they got an A on the test or they could hit the ball over the fence. But their value is that you actually value them as a person. They are a gift from God and that they are precious in your sight and in his sight, that takes communication on your part. It, we have to engage in the game, and frankly, at times, it's hard. You feel like, I just want to pass out. I don't really want to talk to anybody. What we need to do is recognize we've got our kids for a window. We want to communicate with them. And so you start from day one developing healthy patterns. If you do, you're going to find that your children are going to be quite a joy. They become deep, dear friendships. Adult friendships among parents actually get started really early on through patterns of communication. And let me just tell you a huge tactical error, and that is that when they kind of get to that teenage years, you just start kind of pulling away in terms of communication, uh-uh, You don't want to do that. Abandoning teenagers to set their own limits, to kind of think through life on their own. You get to figure it figured out and just kind of tell me how it is. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. No, we need to engage our kids when they want to when they're facing major issues in their life with issues like sexuality, manhood, womanhood, peer pressure, self-image. Parents, you want to have established the pattern early on where you're engaging your children. And so when they when they get older, you want to explain how you came to your convictions talk with them, engage them. That's what we want to do. So when it comes to godly parents trying to train for maturity, this is what we're after. You, we have Christ-centered convictions. We have continual communication. Let me give you a third one. You're going to find that godly parents training for maturity have consistent correction. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. You know, one of the ways that you and I know that we are children of God is because God actually disciplines us. You can read all about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. God makes it real clear. He says, God deals with us as sons. For what son is there that his father doesn't discipline? If he loves you, he will discipline you. We are God's children. God knows that we need to be raised, trained, brought up to maturity. And so he brings about correction in our life. Through people, through a breakdown to sometimes bring us to the very end of ourselves. We're like, this is not working. God's finally got my attention, and now I'll listen. God corrects and disciplines his own children, and we are to do the same. Parents are to discipline and correct and train their children. This is how God brings about maturity. He does throw it so through discipline. Let me I'm going to give you a bunch of Proverbs, but I'm going to start with Proverbs 19.18. It says this, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. You would like to discipline your children while there still is hope. Don't desire that his life is doomed because you failed in the responsibility that God gave you to actually correct him. And so let me show you this graph here. You got this graph. This is a relationship between discipline and maturity. And what you're going to find that in the very early ages, there is a lot of discipline. But as they get older, discipline diminishes and decreases at the same time. You have the inverse of that, where as they get older, you want maturity to continue to grow and develop. And especially as they move on to the adult years, this in kind of a pictorial way is what we're after in terms of parenting. When it comes to the issue of correction or discipline and maturity, there is a high level of discipline in the early years that diminishes as they get older. Correspondingly, you want a rise in the growth and development of maturity. Now, you want to be assured Your parent, your children are going to test you as parents. Okay, they are just like you. Okay, and they're going to find out where the parameters are. And so what we need to do is we need to correct with wisdom, with restraint, with love and with understanding. And that's what we need to do. Loving a a true parent, according to the Bible, is not only going to be just compassionate, but he is or she is going to be willing to correct. So let me just give you some Proverbs. If you want to know God's heart on parenting and on specifically on this issue of correction, go through the book of Proverbs and just make a little mark every time he deals with the issue of correction. It's a, Proverbs is about a father pleading with his son and he gives wisdom on how to actually go about parenting. So he says, like in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The Bible says that children start off foolish, simple-minded. That does not mean that they're not smart. Actually, you will find that your children are very intelligent. They're very sharp, but they're also foolish. They don't know wisdom. It says the rod of discipline will remove it far from them. Or another one, Proverbs twenty-nine, seventeen: Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. So what are some of the things... That we actually discipline or bring correction for. Let me give you three D's for discipline, okay? This is the easy way to remember it. There is disrespect, dishonesty, and disobedience, okay? Anytime you have those three, disrespect, dishonesty, or disobedience, then correction is called for. And why, why do we actually correct or discipline our children? You've got to have this question answered in your heart or likely you're going to fall back into some sort of passive pattern and not do it. The reason that you and I discipline our children is because we love them. I'd like to draw your attention to Proverbs 13, verse 24. Listen to what it says. It says he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Did you see that? We kind of think like the opposite of love with our children is discipline. So we've got to give them some love and some discipline. Uh uh-uh. uh. You know what the opposite of love is, don't you? It's hate. The opposite of love is hate. If you love your children, you're going to involve yourself as hard as it is. Believe me, it is a lot easier to do many other things, it is difficult. But if you love them as an act of love and expression to them, you will discipline them. On the other hand, if you don't love your children, if you hate them, and it's hard to imagine that a parent would do that, but it, the Bible says if you hate them, well, that's pretty easy. Just don't do anything, all right? You just don't discipline them at all. Let them do what they want to do. But you are failing in the area of love. And so this is what we do. Uh, when as soon as a child is able to understand a directive, when they can understand, no, at that point, that's kind of when the discipline process begins. And, and it gets started, and I, I have, oh, my goodness, I was flooded with memories kind of thinking through this message of, of what this looked like in our house here. But, you know, they kind of come to that point where they're getting mobile, you know what I'm saying? It's more than just the rolling around, you know, kind of crawling around and grab things and stuff like that. And, and you know that you, you, they can kind of follow you, and you've got some expressions going on there. And maybe there's something on that little table there, like a vase from Grandma. And they got, ooh, and they think it's really pretty, right? And so they're going to go reach out, and they're going to touch that. Now, their motor skills are just a little bit less than mine, you know, and so they might push that over and break that. And so what do you say? Do you want the vase broken? No. And so you say, they, they go and touch it, and you go, no, no. And you say it, so they mean it. And they understand it. And they're, like, looking at you. You said no to me. They don't verbalize that, but you can see it in their eyes. And they, and they will kind of watch you, and then they... And they touch it. And this is the moment of truth. And so you gotta decide what am I you know what you do? You take their little hand and you say, I said no no. And they'll be says, Pause. And then their eyes get really big, and they can't believe that you actually stepped in front of their will, and then they let you have it. Whee! And then they just kind of burst out there, and it's just traumatic. And this can last anywhere from two minutes to 20, okay? So get ready for your young parents, all right? And then, you know what? They're like, come to their sense of what happened? All right, and they crawl back up. They get to that same old table, and there's that vase again, and it's just as pretty. And so they reach out and touch it. They're watching you. You need to win these battles when they're young. And you, let me assure you, you want to start early. Thinking that, well, they're awfully cute. I'll just move that vase. Uh -uh. I'm just going to hide everything. I'm going to walk on every single thing that I own. Uh, No. And I'm going to start discipline when they're a teenager. That's like putting a lid on a kettle of steam. You're going to have an explosion. You want to start early. Maybe that's what you put on your paper. Start early early but that's what you want to do and so you just spank them on their hand when they're real young now when they kind of get to the toddler stage they're pretty mobile okay and then they have and they disregard you and it's going to happen it happens all the time in these early years then you move from like maybe spanking their hand to spanking their little backside god has got this little prepared spot right in their backside for correction and so let me just tell you what this looks like first of all if you, you spank them you spank in control if you're out of control you're not ready for this, okay? Because we discipline in love, in control. Uh, you tell them specifically what they did or they failed to do, okay? And then you use like like an object, like a wooden spoon. We used like this little, uh, you know that little paddle with the rubber ball, the elastic band on there, okay? We just use one of those It was very effective. It just stings a little bit there. We took the little rubber ball off, of course, like that. And you... And you just you have a, a session where you, they've actually disobeyed you. You explain that you've got to obey God and we're following God. What he has to say in his word. We love you, but you disobeyed. And the Bible says that I need to spank you so that you'll learn to obey mommy and daddy. And that'll eventually teach you how to obey God. So we just. OK, and there's some crying and you just hold them that they're crying and you assure them of their love and you cover it. Now, it should sting. OK, let me tell you this: a little bit of pain when they're really young is going to save you a whole lot of pain when they're older. Okay, and so make it a little bit memorable. You should do it promptly. Okay, if there was some transgression, don't like wait till your dad gets home in seven hours. That's no, they're going to they're going to forget. Okay, they're going to have done like seven things by that time. They're flung for God about what they did or didn't do, and so and now at, now you do it promptly. And if they're still mad at you. OK, like you try to give them affection and they're like, Ugh, you, know, like or, you know, this. These are all signs that the discipline session isn't over because they're actually trying to punish you for stepping into their will. OK, and so you have further correction to do. And then you just always assure their child, your child of their love. Now, you want to as they get older. OK, like in their teenage years, you're probably not going to be spanking your children. Right. So you do things like maybe sending them to the room or depriving their child of something they'd want or restrict privileges or. Like an allowance, maybe that goes away for the week or television or a ball game or whatever that they're wanting or grounding them. But you have different means of exercising discipline, But what you want to do is you want to begin early. Let me give you just a few pointers. Use the word no only when you mean it. Basically, follow this principle. Say what you mean and mean what you say. If you say no, be ready to enforce it. Okay. So say what you mean and mean what you say. You want to be also consistent. Your kids are wanting to learn what the parameters are. So you don't want to be like one day, like you're ultra looking for every infraction. And then the other three days, you just could care less what's going on. And they're just breaking all the rules that you had set up before. You need to be consistent else. You're being very unfair to your children. You're confusing them. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. You are entrusted with these kids to follow through with what you set up. And so this is how it works. It, let's say it's bedtime, and so it's time, to, it's time to have your child go to bed. Don't say, okay, sweetie, would you like to go to bed now? Of course they don't want to go to bed now. If they wanted to go to bed, they would put themselves to bed. They don't want to go to bed. You just tell them it's time to go to bed now, and you say it cheerfully, and they should follow through. If they don't, they're disobeying you, right? Or let's say it's time to put away the toys. You say, it's time to put away the toys now. Don't say, would you like to put away the toys? I mean, think about it. Do you want to put away the to toys? No. No one likes to put away the toys. We don't like to put away We like to make the messes. We don't like to put away the toys. You just tell them where to put away the toys or in 10 minutes. I'm going to let you play for 10 more minutes and then you need to put away the toys. Okay? And you follow through with it. Mealtime. Don't ask, are you hungry? or would you like something to eat? No. If it's meal time, you say, hey, it's time to eat. Come on, everybody. Let's go to the table. And if they're not responding, they're disobeying you or they're showing disrespect and you need to follow through. You will be able to train your children. And really, if you will in these especially those first five years, if you will be really on top of this, it's going to yield a lot of fruit in the years to come. And so what you're basically thinking is this delayed obedience is disobedience okay now you see this especially with this whole idea of like the i'm don't make me count to 10 approach i mean have you you've seen this before it's like it's like the, you, the parent tells the child to do something like come here come here i said come here bubba come here don't make me count to 10 okay all right you know and now bubba totally knows when you're actually going to enforce this, right? And so you start your one, two, and Bubba's like, "Hey, I got, I got nine more seconds. I'll do whatever I want here, okay?" And and you know, and then you're pleading, "Bubba, con, be a sport. Come on over here. Don't embarrass me, Bubba. Bubba, get over here. You know." And you're and you get mad, and you're trying everything. You're pleading, "I'm gonna give you some candy, Bubba. Just get over here." And you're doing all these things to get Bubba over there, you know. And finally, man, you're really get and and then you use their full legal name, you know, and you're like, "Bubba." Alan Smith, the seventh, get over here. Nine and a half, nine and three quarters. And then, and, then they, and then they take one step forward. And then you have to start the whole process over again. No, what you're doing is you're training them for delayed obedience. They know when you mean business. Mean business right away. Okay? Delayed obedience is disobedience. I mean, one of the things that we just kind of work with our children, and this is like one of our little phrases, when do we obey? Right away. When do we obey? Right away. Sometimes I just throw that out there, just even when nothing's going on. When do we obey? Right away. I just want them to know that and to remember that because that's what we're after. And also, don't try to reason with your younger child, okay? Like, well, you need to do this because, you are know, when, when you say something, they need to follow you because if you feel like, well, no, I've got to explain everything to them before they obey, basically you're giving them the idea that they only obey you when they understand Everything of why you're having them do that. Now, when they get older, most certainly you explain things why, like, you know, I'm not watch, having you watch this TV show because of da, da 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 da. Okay? But with our younger children, we want them to obey right away. See, that is a real good practice for the children of God and for parenting. When do we obey? Right away. Now, so this is kind of what it looks like, you know, and you've got one of these discipline sessions. You say, oh, you know, You didn't obey mommy or daddy when we said to do this, did you? And you know that mommy and daddy, we want to obey God and we have to spank you if you choose to disobey. It's because we love you and we love God. And so you have your little discipline session and you assure them of your love. And these can actually be some pretty bonding times, but it's critical. And so when it comes to parenting, what we need to do is we have to be consistent in our correction. This, by the way, if we can get them to learn how to respect our authority as parents, which God has called us to do, they will learn to respect and honor God's authority. They will follow through when it comes to the workplace, schools, teachers, coaches. They have actually got a pattern to respect authority. And and if you do not do this, this explains a ton of the problems that we've got with a lot of young people. Their parents bailed at the critical years. And now they got all these troubles. And really, you groomed them to be that way. You didn't take God's word seriously. And hence, you've got, you have marriages where people are acting all selfish because they, were only, they got rewarded for bad behavior. It's kind of like they're crying, whining, screaming. And so what did the parent do? I'm going to give them some candy. Okay, they're going to be quiet. No, that's the t- you're reinforcing the very behavior you do not want. And so when it comes to godly parents that are trying to bring their children to maturity, you want to be consistent with correction. Like it says in Proverbs 29, 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And let me give you just the fourth just way in which godly parents train their children for maturity. It is to have a compelling compassion. Your kids need to know that you love them. You express it to them verbally and non-verbally, and this creates so many treasured memories. You just want to continue to reinforce your love for them. Your kids should know that you love them just as much as they know that you're the authority. To run around like you're some sort of ogre, right? And you're and you're always mad and everybody at everybody, especially the kids, and just like looking for them to mess up. That's no. That's not parenting. That's you being belligerent and having a sin issue and probably an anger issue, and that needs to be addressed. What we want to do is we want to create environments of love where our kids know that we love them. We love them so much we'd even discipline them. And so that's what we do. If you feel like, man, I am a parenting failure, I've felt like that a lot of times. I'm like, man, this is way more than I have. Guess what? We all feel that way. God is in the business of giving us what we need to love and to train our children. And when it comes to this loving, this, we've referenced this before, but Dr. Gary Chapman has this book, The Five Love Languages, which identifies how people re- give and receive love, like quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, physical touch. You want to really, with your kids, you kind of start off five, but you are going to find that as they mature, just like you, there's going to be one or two that surface where they, this really communicates love to them. And let me just all ta- address you, parents, and you, parents that are not doing the single parent deal, which is extremely difficult. And we as a church need to come alongside and really support you. But if you are married, I want you to remember this: a father's first responsibility to his child is to love his wife. The most favored children in the world are those whose parents love each other. You know there is a African proverb that says this: that when when the elephants fight the grass suffers first what i want you to do is i want you to replace the elephant put the word parent in there and take the word grass out and put the kids there when the parents fight it's the kids that takes its toll on you know if you want to if you want to love your children it starts off with loving your spouse because when there is love and harmony at that primary relationship there's going to be a lot of overflow that goes into those kids lives and that's what we're wanting to do we want to we want to raise our children to be complete in every aspect in Christ. And so it's never too late to begin, but begin before it is too late. While they are in our home, this is our window of opportunity to raise our children for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read you just a expert excerpt from a letter from a dad. This one Christian dad just wrote this. My family's all grown, And the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay them more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. Parents, this is our time. The baton is in our hand, but we are in the process of passing it on to our children. May God be gracious. May we follow his word and he'll be faithful and we will take him at his word. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your scriptures that bring such clarity to this subject of raising our children. And Lord, you know all the many times that we failed at this. Sometimes we have chosen to do what is wrong simply because it was difficult. We confess it as sin, Lord. We thank you that your blood, the son of your blood, your son, your son's blood has covered us and cleanses us. And you, through your spirit, renew us. So, Lord, give us strength, wisdom, vision. Give us a heart and desire to raise our children according to your ways in the discipline and instruction of you. And, Lord, we pray that all of our children would come to know you at a very early age, would walk in your ways, and bring great glory to you. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.